0: This is a Radio.com original.
1: This is Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles.
0: And I'm Mike Simpson. Cases surging across the U.S. doesn't appear to be a slowdown in that. 100,000 plus a day. What's driving the surge seems to be small private gatherings and people letting their guard down. So we'll get into whether we can possibly slow all this down before the vaccine arrives.
1: So is surveillance testing the answer to slowing the virus or the spread of the virus? One study suggests it might be needed.
0: Chicago getting hit hard. Workers there not thrilled with the prospect of heading back into the offices.
1: And Ticketmaster has come up with a plan to restart concerts and major music events, but with terms and conditions.
0: Always terms and conditions. Got to click through three pages of that, right?
1: And then agree.
0: (laughs) If we all want to gather indoors again, how can buildings make sure that it's not floating around in the air, the virus? Uh, We'll get into what technology will be needed there.
1: Let us uh, start with small gatherings. Dr. George Rutherford is an epidemiologist, director of the Division of Prevention and Public Health over at UC San Francisco. Dr. Are these small gatherings really driving this recent surge?
2: Yes, I think that to the best of our knowledge, it's these, uh, uh, it's these smaller gatherings of, of people or even larger gatherings where people from different uh, family groups, from different households are, are mixing together. Um, and what that leads to, especially with when they're eating and drinking, which, of course, you can't have your mask on for uh, that's been leading to this uh, to these uh, cases being transmitted around.
0: So a few minutes ago, we talked about, you know, mixing households. If you're going to try and do this, make sure everybody's on the same page. Don't see one group Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and, and yeah, so yeah, on, because yeah. then you expand all the way down to, a, you know, a right. whole bunch of people. But what right. about just the general bias we all have about our friends or relatives? I know them. They're not going to give this to me. They're safe. Right? Yeah. 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 No.
2: Um, did you see the, uh, the, the the fans go on the field after the Notre Dame Clemson game? <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm sure they're like, they're like, they have a thousand of their, of their newest best yeah, friends. All my friends are with but, me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They all work green. So they're all okay. Right. <laughs> it's, you know, it's wishful thinking. It's just wishful thinking. That's all it is. And, you know, people go out, they're getting exposed, they can get exposed, they can get infected and they're certainly taking chances. And when we start combining households, you know, it's, it's as long as you combine one or two or three, you know, okay, okay. We can figure that one out, but it's when, you go over to watch a watch a football game with four of your friends and then you go out and meet three other friends for drinks later all of a sudden you got seven households you're mixing and it's you know that's just not the way to do it um, and it's you got to really cut it down and in fact what we tell people for Thanksgiving is if you're going to have another family over or people who don't live in your house to have the have thanksgiving outdoors which is what even in northern california we can pull that off uh, and uh, have separate tables for people, and so you know, think of like the, you know, wedding reception, and you don't want to be the father of the bride going from table to table, knocking over drinks, right? So,
1: you, you realize that you you figured out how to stop the spread of COVID. If everybody wore green, we'd all be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: and stayed out of, <laughs> of Indiana. That would be the other part of it. Yeah,
1: but, but 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 you look, the the real issue, of course, in terms of enforcement, this uh, enforcing this is enforcing it. Uh, It's one thing for, you know, the government can close stores. It could, you know, uh, shut down all kinds of commercial enterprises. But other than telling people that it's not a good idea to keep socializing with a lot of people in your home, how do you ever, in our system of government anyway, how do you stop people from doing it?
2: By setting examples and, you know, and by making strong, strong, consistent recommendations. Think how the, how the prevalence of smoking has fallen over the last 40 years um, and you know, that's people, you know, yeah, we can enforce sales. Yeah, we can, you know, we can keep people from smoking in, in, in restaurants and stuff. But, you know, the fact that so many fewer people are smoking is because people are making personal choices and it's the same kind of thing. This is something that's avoidable. This is a disease that's avoidable. This is a disease that's avoidable that can kill, kill your parents and your grandparents just, you know, take the, take the time to wear a mask, take the time to not take chances. You can do all this next year. As uh, Dr. Fauci said yesterday, you know, the cavalry's on the way with vaccines. And, you know, we're just asking you to hold on for six, eight months. Um, and it's, you know, I don't think it's that big an
0: ask, right, uh, frankly. Dr. George Rutherford, epidemiologist, director of the Division of Prevention and Public Health, UC San Francisco School of Medicine.
1: A new study of U.S. Marine recruits suggests surveillance testing might be needed to track asymptomatic COVID-19 cases. But how would it work on a larger scale?
0: It's different than contact tracing. KCBS's Stan Bunger talked to Dr. Stuart Sealfon, professor of neurology at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai and one of the lead authors of this study.
3: Our study was built on top of a Navy program to decrease COVID-19 infection. And it was for new Marine recruits. And the program that they put in place was that the recruits for two weeks would self-quarantine at home. Then they would go to college campus where they had a very strict supervised quarantine with hand-washing, mask-wearing, social distancing, um, comprehensive infection control measures in place. And... They were screened daily for symptoms and temperature checks with the idea they will be tested if they show anything. And then at the end of those two weeks, after a month of total quarantine, they would be tested for infection before they would go on to the Paris Island training camp to continue their marine training. Our study, which was funded by DARPA, was, and we worked with the Navy research team closely on this, was to study during that second supervised quarantine to test the Marines for infection when they, nearly when they arrived um, at day seven and, and then at day 14. And in Marines who tested positive, um, the virus was uh, isolated and we were able to, for most of the subjects, sequence the virus, which allows us to genetically identify how many viruses there were, how many were introduced, and actually to document during this period the transmission of the virus was occurring.
4: It, what's fascinating here, so you, you're looking at a very controlled environment. Uh, these, these aren't people uh, going out on the town at night, I assume. They've, they've arrived at this college campus. They're essentially in confinement, right?
3: It, uh, it can't be more controlled. Nobody goes, no, None of the Marines, none of the instructors go in or out. There's no contact with any staff. An entire college campus was taken over just for this purpose, and, it, and, you know, there was a tremendous effort going into the public health measures and to enforce them to be absolutely as effective as possible. These are college days predominantly. They're 18 to 20 years old, and this is, I think, as good as it's going to be possible to do with public health containment measures alone.
4: So what you found clearly indicates that there were people who didn't show symptoms. Um, And, you know, we've all been through this. I had my first dental appointment since this began the other day. You know, the series of questions about a cough, uh, you know, the the thermometer at the door going into the clinic and all of those things. Those are the kinds of symptoms we've all been told to look for. Some of or most of the ones who tested positive did not show these symptoms. Am I right about that?
3: In, In this age group, it's rare for them to have symptoms, and none of them get particularly sick. So out of, out of the 51 Marines we identified as infected, um, only five of them had any symptoms whatsoever, and they were quite mild prior to infection. And there were another 26 Marines who, in the group that wasn't in our study, another about 1,500 group of Marines that went through the same training together with our study group, but didn't enroll in our study. And there were another 26 cases in them. And from the daily temperature checking and from the daily symptom screening, it turned out that absolutely no cases were identified. All of the cases were identified by testing done independent of symptoms. So the symptom level is incredibly low in this group. And almost everybody is asymptomatic
4: and of course the implication is you would not know unless you ran the test that you have a lot of carriers of of the coronavirus who could infect others were they in the broader community
3: exactly and and also we get a pretty good estimate of how much virus is in these you know is being carried by these recruits and among these asymptomatic uh, marines uh, who are infected some of them had absolutely extraordinary levels of, of virus, uh, you know, in, in the uh, measurement of uh, diagnostic measurement that we made. So, so they can they can be asymptomatic, have enormous levels. These are I mean, none of them. We couldn't show any of them were superspreaders, but this is what one would expect an asymptomatic superspreader would look like: enormous amounts of virus, completely asymptomatic. Um, they were completely surprised. When they found out they were infected, because they felt perfect.
4: Interesting, and, and you, you touched on something that we don't talk about very often. But uh, when testing is done, we just get a yay or a nay, right? As a as a test uh, taker, but in fact, the test does reveal the, the standard uh, PCR test how much virus is in the system.
3: It, it does. I mean, it's not you know it, it's not perfectly accurate, but the the PCR test that's done as a quantitative test, and it measures the amount of of RNA, which is a reflection of the amount of virus in the sample. So there could be small differences in the sample that was taken. But it's a pretty good estimate of the amount of virus. And the amount of virus in these measurements varies more than a billion times. I mean, it's an enormous range in people who test positive from the lowest levels to the highest levels. And, you know, we we believe the people with much higher levels are simply much, much more likely to spread the virus.
4: So knowing what you know now, uh, what's your thinking around the way we test in this country? Because most of the testing is done when somebody feels like they have symptoms, or maybe they need a test to do something like take an airline flight or enter a workplace. Do you have some thoughts around what kinds of testing and how it ought to be done?
3: Yes, yeah, so, you know, I, I think I, I sort of focus on a group you want to keep free of infection because that was the design of the study, either a college campus or, a, you know, a workplace. And, and if, we, if we want to suppress the infection, nearly eliminated or eliminated in any target group that you want to control, we need to both implement these infection control measures as best as we can because they are helpful. And we need to do widespread and repeated testing so that we can identify um, asymptomatic or subjects, you know, individuals who have low-level of symptoms simply don't realize it. They just think they have a sniffle. A couple of our recruits just had a runny nose. So, you, you know, we need to do widespread testing and we need to do repeated testing so that we can make sure we identify who's infected with the virus and we can prevent them from spreading it to other members. It's the only way we're going to get this pandemic under control.
1: The Midwest getting the worst of this surge of coronavirus right now. The region's biggest city, Chicago, is a major business hub, but many workers are not quite ready to come back to the
0: office. Can you blame them? WBBM's Cisco Cotto talks to Tom Gimbel, CEO of the staffing and recruiting firm LaSalle Network, about why people would just rather stay home.
4: And what
5: you have is an intersection of Midwestern people who are more conservative than in other parts of the country, and they worry about their family and their health, and simultaneously uh, not having to get dressed up and put on makeup or a suit or or what have you, men or women, and, and make the trek is is something that has really changed the way people view things uh, with COVID.
6: If you don't have to commute, for some people, that's giving them another hour and a half or two hours of their day. It is. There is absolutely no doubt about
5: it. But it's also, you know, in your own little community, it's putting the dry cleaner out of business. It's putting the, uh, the uh, convenience store in the city out of business. And there is a ripple effect that will circle in a trickle-down economic theory, and eventually
6: people will start losing jobs as a result of not having commutes. Now, let's talk about employers. They uh, eventually, I would assume, want these employees back in the office, or are they getting more comfortable with this work-at-home thing too? No, well, that, that'll follow profits.
5: So right now we have a situation where, as, as the economy is in a, in, a, in a much better place than we thought it would be in March, April, and May, that employers are more open to different different issues. But there's two huge things that don't happen when employees are working together in an office. Uh, number one is creativity, ideation, um, and, and collaboration. That's, that's a huge, huge thing that, that is missing right now uh, in the marketplace and in business. And the other is onboarding new talent. So when you have people that have been working together for a while, for them not to be together is one thing. But training and onboarding new hires who've never worked for the company, and especially young, youngsters out of college, Uh, in jobs they've never worked in before is really a challenge. So you're going to see employers and employees come back to work in the spring and in the summer.
6: Is the fact that employers, they won't need as much rent, right? They won't need as as much office space if they allow employees to work at home. Is that at all weighing in on this? Because it could save some employers, I mean, tens of thousands of dollars or even more. Only if your lease is up for renewal. Francisco. So, so right, right. if you're in a if you have two,
5: three, four, five years left on your lease, no one's taking that off your hands right now. So in, in a in a perfect world, yeah, that may be happening. But overall the, the leases in, in major cities, they're gonna come back. It might not be 2021, but but in the years to come, you're going to see it revert back to the norm.
6: And for employees, as you mentioned, the the, sort of the difficulty of being remote, in the end it'll be better for the the teamwork, camaraderie, having face time with the boss. In general, being in-house is better. Just the ability to
5: to have some downtime in the commute. You may not want to commute an hour, but a 20 or 30 minute commute to to let the, the blood pressure come down to normal, to take a walk out of the office and get there, to not be in your home all day uh, is a very positive thing. And the ability to have interaction with people, and this is really important, Cisco, to have interaction with people you don't choose to. At home, you choose your friends, you choose your neighbors. When you're in the office, you don't necessarily always choose your coworkers, And to be around those people, it's better for our psyche and our personality to learn to play well with others. It's a real thing we're missing out on.
6: Thanks so much for being here, Tom Gimbel, founder and CEO of the staffing and recruiting firm LaSalle Network. Coming
1: up after this short break, would you get vaccinated to go to a concert? At some point, concerts will start up again. Now, that means crowds, and it also means lots of people. Ticketmaster, though, has come up with a way to make it safe.
0: Yeah, some kind of platform where you can verify that you've got a vaccine or that you've been tested before you're let into the venue. Marianne Herman, co-founder and principal of Rebuild 20. It's a guest services tech company. Helps businesses safely hold their gatherings. So, Marianne, take us through a Big Picture how this would work.
7: So, Big Picture, it, we support anything that improves the optics of what guests fans, employees, artists, um, see and hear about how and what steps are being taken to protect them in, um, gathering small and large. Uh, we think that anything that we are doing that helps inform the general public, our artists and our employees about how they're being protected, whether it be through testing, vaccination, sanitation, PPE, social distancing, HVAC, that, those kinds of communications will help people feel safer um, and then in turn make us safer. One of the most important things, however, we think about as you start to disseminate that information and, and, and present those kinds of optics is consistency. And for us, that's consistency across industry, across venue, across cities, across counties. And when you're talking about Live Nation and Ticketmaster bringing back protocols that would have testing requirements or vaccination requirements that would be um, proven through a digital app, that's wonderful. But then that needs to be extrapolated out so that the small clubs and people in other counties are doing the same thing. We truly believe that being consistent and while we apply these new technologies and science, is going to be very helpful in the long run to getting people back to gathering safely.
0: All right. That's Marianne Herman, co-founder, principal of Rebuild 20. Again, these ideas being thrown around out there to figure out how we can pull this off once we do have uh, some shots that are ready to go.
1: There's a uh, story in Virginia that demonstrates just how important air circulation and ventilation will become in all of our lives. An environmental health specialist was a member of a gym where the gym owner wanted advice on how to safely reopen. She advised the owner about opening up all doors and windows, setting up fans, and investing in a new ventilation
0: system. So the gym reopened, and then not long afterward, the owner got infected with the virus, exposed dozens of members, but because of all the ventilation, nobody got sick. Shelly Miller, professor of environmental engineering, University of Colorado. Shelly, ventilation in this case, uh, super important.
8: Well, ventilation is important indoors because it helps to keep the level of virus that's potentially available to be inhaled. Uh, It keeps it very low because it it brings in air from the outside that doesn't have the virus and takes air from inside out and uh, keeps the space um, cleaner.
0: So when I'm trying to picture this, it's not like just cracking a window or leaving the door open. This is probably one of those places, and I think one of the articles, it's got the warehouse style doors or the big roll up doors. And so you can open like a wall to a place that changes the game.
8: Sure, I mean, I think it's great to have as many windows and doors open as you can, especially in milder climates, it really does make a difference. And then having the whole side of the gym open is is great.
1: But what happens when, you know, American office buildings, the ones built since, you know, I guess primarily the 60s and 70s and The later, one we're sitting in right now. <laughs> the one we're sitting in now, yes. Uh, you know, you can't open the windows uh, and the ventilation systems are pretty old. And it's really expensive in some cases to replace them in, in buildings that are 20, 30 stories or more tall in some cities. Uh, this is a really big task.
8: Yeah, I think a lot of buildings and their facilities managers are looking at how the ventilation systems are operating and looking for ways to improve them. Here at the University of Colorado Boulder, we improved our systems by increasing the outdoor air rate that we use to ventilate our spaces. And also we improved the filtration technology that was in the system, and that helped to improve the air quality inside.
0: It also doesn't negate things like simple spacing or mask wearing right i mean people they tend to shed their masks when they're outside or if they're far apart and people can do that or they cannot but when there's a group of people and they're in a room and all of us are you know exhaling out the carbon dioxide anyways like our breath is getting into the room and you've got to get it out somehow
8: oh definitely we see with this pandemic that we definitely need to use a layered approach And that's because when you get close to a person, that's where the most virus is. And so you always want to make sure you're distanced and you're wearing your mask so you don't inhale that virus. But then once any virus gets out into the general space, like the environment, then you need to make sure you have good ventilation and other air cleaning technology to help keep the virus levels low so other people don't inhale it from far away.
1: So what is the answer to, uh, say, a business owner or uh, the owner of a large, you know, office building who might say, well, you know, I keep reading that we're about to have a vaccine. So why would I want to spend a lot of money to upgrade in a significant way the ventilation systems in my building when in maybe a year or two, everybody is going to be or most people will be vaccinated? End of problem.
8: We've been advocating for decades to actually improve the air quality in our buildings because it leads to increased productivity and decreased illness absences. And so you have additional benefits from improving your ventilation, um, even without a pandemic, and I think you know, right now, what we need to be doing is focusing on indoor environments that are most risky, where we have lots of people that are generating a lot of aerosol because they're breathing heavy, or they're talking, or they're not wearing their masks. And those are the places we need to especially focus on improving the ventilation.
0: So, yeah, the droplets are droplets, and that's going to spread from one person to another. But it's the aerosol that the airflow, as much as you—and this, like when you're running outside or something, and there were all these questions early on. You know, if I'm on the sidewalk and somebody runs on past me, or a cyclist uh, comes by on the street and they don't have a mask, should I be worried? And the answer was usually, well, you know, things are in the air, but they're going so fast, the wind's blowing, it's going to disperse it all out. Mm-hmm. It diffuses it, yeah?
8: Yeah, definitely. But then you can imagine that aerosol is contained in a small room and there's not a lot of ventilation and, and it's just going to stay there and stagnate. And it, we, we, we use an analogy like a smoky bar, you know, there's that cloud lingering that's because the There's not enough ventilation. And the closer you get to the smoker, the more you inhale. But you still can inhale smoke from way across the room, right? Because it's (laughs) not being removed by ventilation.
1: Do you think we may get back, because of the pandemic, to buildings that, I don't know, have windows that open?
8: I sure hope so. I think natural ventilation is a really powerful tool, especially in many climates. And it's just a really... Great way to add ventilation without, you know, spending a lot of of our carbon budget. You know, we spend a lot of energy. Um, we spend over thirty percent of our carbon budget heating and cooling and ventilating buildings, which is kind of crazy.
0: When people were having the early conversations about travel and airplanes and should I be worried? Were you sitting here going, okay, well, it's it's cleaner than you think in there because that gets cycled through at a rate that probably is way faster than wherever you're sitting most of your days.
8: Yeah, I wasn't I I have studied ventilation on aircraft and know it's really really well done, but I was really mostly nervous with the fact that there was no mask wearing and people were um, avoiding wearing masks and now that seems to be better, but that was my real worry sitting next to somebody who wasn't wearing a mask and I knew the ventilation would be fine that but the local the the short range transport is what was is what worries me.
1: I was going to ask you, I mean, would you be comfortable flying now?
8: I actually have flown last month. It was the first time since March, and um, it was all right. It was a little bit stressful, I have yeah. to say, but it, 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 it was better than I thought, actually.
0: It's kind of like everything. You can put that label on most things these days, right? It was a little bit stressful, yeah. you know, wherever yeah. you go, wherever you do something. All right. Uh, Dr. Shelley Miller, professor of environmental engineering, University of Colorado, Boulder. A doctor. Thanks so much.
1: We know the uh, virus loves small and indoor gatherings, but where else does it like? You know, I don't really care where the virus (laughs) likes. You know, it doesn't really pay much attention to what we like. Why should we care? But researchers at Stanford created a computer model and used cell phone data to map places people in big cities frequent every day. So they found the most common places where the virus spreads are full service restaurants, gyms and cafes. The researchers found opening restaurants at full capacity resulted in the largest increase in infections. Gyms came in second, followed by cafes and hotels and motels. One scenario found it found that if capacity was limited to 20% at all venues, new infections would be reduced by more than 80%.
0: What have we learned? Small gatherings and ventilation.
1: Yeah, don't, what we learned is limits your people. Yeah, don't don't go to a crowded gym that happens to be in a hotel and then go and have dinner in a
0: restaurant <laughs> in the basement of the hotel. Yeah. Yes. You can find us on the radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.